0: But if you have your Bibles and you want to turn with me, or if you just want to, I think John's going to put it up. Let's go to Luke 15, which is the story of the prodigal. I mean, you can call him the prodigal son. You can call him the prodigal father. End <laughs> the story. But Luke 15, verse 11. I want to read the whole story to you. That's all the Scriptures I have for today, though. Or right now, anyway. <laughs> And as the Spirit uh, takes over, then we'll go from there. But if you remember from last week, we talked about God establishing a kingdom culture. And uh, the bottom line of a kingdom culture is we're family. We're family. And if you like, if you remember from last week, I said that if you read the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, you'll only find the word church mentioned three times while you'll find the word kingdom over a hundred times. So Jesus' central focus when he came to preach and t- tell us things, he came to share about the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and how it becomes a part of us as we continue to stay focused on him. But in Luke 15, and this is, this is a part of, I believe, one of the core themes or one of the greatest core themes that we can find about the kingdom is right here in Luke 15, the prodigal son And some of the core themes that we'll find here are sonship, which is very important. The key of kingdom is becoming sons and daughters of God. That's the key. Because he said in Revelation chapter 1 that Jesus himself said, I am going to make you kings and priests unto me. And so we are all in a process of becoming. Becoming sons and daughters. And it's not easy to be a son when you've been an orphan for so long. Now I'm reading a book right now that says every person on the planet is born orphan spirit. I'll give you some I'll give you some thoughts about that in a few minutes about what that means and what that looks like, but some of the things some of the characteristics of this of an orphan spirit are, and it's a it's a it's a long list I had to write them down, but if you have an orphan spirit then you're going to have feelings of abandonment on a constant. And there's people that struggle with that all the time. You know, you may not struggle with abandonment, but people do. There's feelings of rejection, there's feelings of helplessness or isolated or bereaved or comfortless and there's people that suffer from loneliness. They could be in a house with a, a family of 7 and they feel lonely all the time. That's just the the way it is, emptiness. And we know about addictions. How many know addictions big in our in our nation? I mean, it's a big deal. And you got hard-heartedness, independence, isolation, insecurity, disappointment, and hopelessness. But I believe a lot of the orphan status, and what's sad to me as a pastor and a leader, is there's still a lot of people who are born again who suffer from orphan status, orphan identity. They still haven't graduated, you know, or haven't come to the place of maturity where they see themselves as sons and daughters of God, who are secure in their father's love. Secure in all the things that God gave us, but this is this is a story that I believe helps to under helps us to understand about what what the, the prodigal was about. But it says in verse 11, then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. In other words, I want my inheritance now. And he was literally telling the father, I wish you were dead. So I could have my money now. I don't want to wait till you die. Because at the rate we're going, you probably won't die. Because you're healthy. You're still running around the, 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 the farm and the estate. You know, you're still bossing everybody around. And, but he's, and, and, and then it, it also, this, this one scripture, what he says, it says, give me my portion. It's like my wife said earlier. You know, we have a tendency in an orphan mindset is to be self-sufficient. And we live in a nation that, that, that's big on independence. Being dependent on ourselves, Not having to depend on anybody else. Not having to depend on God or trust God for anything. Learning how to survive by ourselves. And that's orphan mindset. That's orphan mindset. But look what the Father did. He said, so He divided to them. I've never seen this for a long time in this, in this parable. The younger son asked for his portion. The father divided to them, both younger and older, his livelihood, his possession. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed into a far country, which sounds like to me if he's gathering people, he must have been gossiping long before he was talking to his papa. He must have been stirring strife and contention up among those who he hung around with on the estate. And he gathered them all together, then they journeyed to a far country, and there they wasted, and there they wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And when they had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself To a citizen of that country and he sent, and he sent them into his fields to feed swine. Which was again contrary to what he did. Because he was an Israelite and he didn't like pigs. (laughs) He didn't like swine. And for him to feed these swine, he had to break the law. In his head, in the Torah, his thoughts, his raising up, his upbringing. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, verse 17, he said, How many of my father's hired servants? How many? Must have been a lot of them. If he was able to take some with him and then leave some there, and they were still managing the father's estate. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you, here's the orphan mindset, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He went from a son mindset to an orphan mindset because of the situation he put himself in, because it was his choice to get his inheritance before the time, and to go live periodically away from the Lord, self-sufficient on Himself, depending on Himself, which shows us when we depend on ourselves, at some point, we're going to run out, run out. And we're going to hit the wall. And He arose and came to His Father, but when He was still a great way off, the Father saw Him. there's a picture there. We could spend hours here. It says the father saw him and had compassion and ran. For him to be able to run, a father in that day in that culture to run, he had to be able to lift up his robe, which was not supposed to be—he was supposed to be doing—and he to, to run after his son. He was waiting for his son, and he fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, "Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son." Verse 22, what is the first word? But, but the Father said to His servants, Bring out the best robe. Now, I've been teaching on this for 30-some years. And I could never ever, I said, Lord, what is the best robe? I was telling Carol the other night, I was in bed two days ago, in bed three about 2 o'clock in the morning, God wakes me up in the middle of the night. I don't know why He does that. Has He ever done that to you? And for three hours, He talks to me. Three hours. I said to Him twice during that three-hour time, I said, I'm tired, i got to get some sleep. He says, we're not done here. I ain't going to tell you all the tough stuff He told you? because you'd think I was crazy. But I'll tell you what, he told me, I said, Lord, I said, I got one question before we break this engagement. What is the best robe? He said, it's very simple, son. It's my robe. I'm giving you my robe because it's the best. And I could just see God putting the robe on his son. His robe, the father being so much bigger than the son, so that when he put the robe on his son, you couldn't see the son, he was fully covered by the father's robe. And he put a ring on his, his hand, and I'm, the ring's like falling off because it's daddy's ring. and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat. We're having a party. For this son, my son, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married. This is a picture of when one person gets saved. In the, and the Bible says, even the angels in heaven rejoice over one. Over one. So if that's the truth of thousands, I mean, just think globally how many people get saved in a day. Globally. If you can't see heaven as a place where we party, then don't come. Stay away. Go somewhere else because it sounds like to me we're going to be celebrating a lot. And now this older son, verse 25, this older son who already got his inheritance was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house he heard music and dancing so he being more more apt or more close to the servants because he saw his, he saw himself as a servant too because of his responses makes you understand and realize that he saw himself more as a servant than a son and we got so many believers today in the body of Christ that see themselves as servants first, rather than sons and daughters of God who serve. Listen to me. For too long we put servant first. It's not servant first. The Bible declares and shows us that it's sons and daughters first. God wanted a family. He wasn't just happy with one son, Jesus. He wanted a family, a kingdom of sons and daughters. Who would share the estate with him. Who would share all of the wealth with him. My page turned all by itself. And his older son. And so he called one of the servants, verse 26, and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the biggest cow in the pasture. The biggest. The big heifer. Huge. 800 pounds or more. And we're going to have some ribeye. How many are saying, let's do it? Amen. How many are in? How many are in on the party? I mean, the Father knows how to celebrate. He doesn't say, get me the scrawniest... The the, the the weakest the ugliest cow we got in, in the field and bring him here. He says, "Get me the fatted." How mean, know what a fatted calf is? That I mean, he's a big cow, and he's black and he's got he's a ribeye. He's a ribeye cow. <laughs> How many's ever had a ribeye? You get a lot of fat out of ribeye, but it's good fat. You could just go experiment. Just go to you know any of your favorite steakhouses around, and you know just buy a little little strip sirloin about this big, and then get a ribeye about this big, and decide which one you like better. You know sometimes we only buy the sirloin because we have a poverty mindset. We can't we can't afford it. But if you have a wealth mindset, which is kingdom. Kingdom is wealth mindset. I'm going to show you why. We're We're going to go there in a few minutes, so you can just stay with me. In verse 27, he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, say, safe and sound. That is kingdom all the way. The kingdom is safe. And the kingdom is sound. It will be here forever. I mean, the earth could be gone, but the kingdom will be here forever. It will never leave you. Never. And your father has killed a fatted calf, but he was... What was his response? This servant? This son? What was he? It was, yeah. It was, that's to say I'm mildly. i bet mildly. I bet his language was not in tongues. I, be, I believe he's speaking with another Tongue called Cursing and Cussing and Corrupt Communication. It's just not recorded. Amen? And would not go in, therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. And so he answered and he said to his father, I've been with you all these years doing what? What was he doing? Serving you. Listen, when you only know yourself as a servant, at some point in your walk with Christ, you're going to get angry. You're gonna be mad because you're gonna find out that you're the only ones probably doing most of the stuff in the whole place. But see, if you have that mindset, a servant mindset is an orphan mindset. And God doesn't want us to have orphan mindsets. He wants to have minds of sons and daughters of God, part of the kingdom, part of the family, know who we are, so no, no devil, no enemy could ever come in and accuse you of anything that you could ever say. I mean, there's no devil consciousness in me anymore. Because I know who I am. The Bible says the devil came to Jesus and couldn't find one thing in him to accuse him of. He knew. You want to know who Jesus was? A son of God. You know who you are? A son of God. So everything that Jesus had or had, you have. You have it the same. Amen? And I've been here, and I've been serving you, I've never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me, not even a skinny young goat! A strangely skinny goat! How many never had goat meat? It's it's bad compared to steak. Goat meat. Meat. Italians, a lot of times, Italians on uh, on holidays, Easter time, they kill goats and eat them. You can ask Marie. Her father had a goat. He made it a pet, brought it home for Easter, and then he was going to slice his throat and cook them for dinner next day. And my wife, you can ask my wife. It's a true story. She told my wife says, "Don't you dare do that, Dad." They fell in love with the goat. Couldn't handle killing it, so the neighbor killed it. true story how do you even get a young know, skinny young goat that I might make merry with my friends but as soon as his son of yours comes and has devoured your livelihood with harlots you killed a fat calf for him I mean doesn't that show you that God's love is not judging us on our behavior he didn't judge the prodigal by his behavior he just came home and he had a whole litany and a confession that he was just a servant. He was no good. I'm not a son anymore. Just make me a hired servant. Let me stay in the quarters with the hired servants. Don't Just, just give me something, God. Dad, just give me anything. But that wasn't God's will for his life. God's will for his life was to lavish him with a fatty calf. Give him the best robe, his father's robe, father's ring, father's shoes, deck them out from head to toe, and say to the son, take your confession of faith and throw it in the garbage. It doesn't work with me. I never ever judge you by your choices or by your behavior. And this is the Scripture I want you to highlight if you have your Bibles. If you have a phone, you can't highlight it. If you have an iPad, you might. I don't know. I don't I I don't I can't highlight my iPad Bible. But in my in my Bible, right here, it highlighted. I believe this is one of the scriptures in the Bible. If you believe it, your life will change radically. How many want to go radical? I do. How many want to go this? Just get this one here. Swallow this one. Eat it and chew it. Because it does. the Bible does say eat the Word. Eat it and believe it. Receive it. It's yours. And he said to him, Son, he's saying to all of you right here. All of you. All of you. He said, Son, you're always with me. And all, all of heaven's resources, all of the universe's resources, everything that I possess, all of it that I have is yours, which means we lack nothing. Do you know what we, what our problem is? We don't believe it. It's just the story about this dude, these two sons. One was a jerk, and the other one was a servant. You know? You know? You know? Do you know? Do you get it? Do you capish? But let me tell you what, I really believe this is a hidden truth for every one of us. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should have a party and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Oh, wow. A shifted identity from son to orphan when his inheritance ran out because he wasn't prepared to use his inheritance with wisdom. But you can get an inheritance, a large sum of money. And in days or even months, it could be gone. Any amens? And it caused another shift in his identity from orphan to servant. And he returns home the identity of a servant because he just wants to survive. But before he could reach the house, daddy says, I'm restoring you as a son. That's your identity but he couldn't believe it because he made a bad choice I mean there's a lot of people make bad choices in life and boy if we could be the judge and jury we'd be happy but thank God you're not God amen because if we were it'd be an ugly world and Jesus Everything Jesus taught His disciples about sonship, kingdom, and inheritance. He always was showing them in us the heart and the purpose of the Father. This parable shows us the heart and the love of the Father for us. No matter what we've been. No matter where we've been. No matter what we've done. I had Carol said it good today. She said, God just wants to tell you, i just just it on you. And I think at some point, you've got to learn to let God love you. And don't expect that you have to love Him. And that's okay. Because sometimes if you try to give Him your love, it's going to be all corrupted and contaminated. With all of your conglomerate of belief, that is contrary to the Word of God. And he was restoring to them. In this parable, He because rest- the kingdom is about identity. And it's about inheritance. And guess, you think the father, after he gave the two boys their inheritance, he was dry? <laughs> no. He said, and, and I said, Lord, what, what inheritance are they, they going to live off of now? He said, Daddy's inheritance. He's got enough to share with the whole world. All his sons and daughters... Who take Luke fifteen thirty one and believe it? Amen. I, I was here just a few months ago with a group of pastors. They came in and they says, "Well, Pastor Mike, we, we want to pray." There's th- about fifteen leaders here. I was sitting right there. They said, we, "We'd like to pray for you, Pastor Mike." What, what do you want us to pray for for you? I said, "Will you pray? I want to be a billionaire." They looked at me like I had no marbles in my head left. I said, "Well, you guys just think too small. You want to be, you know, you only want to make twenty thousand this week or this year. I want a billion. I said, "If I'm going to ask God for something, I'm going to ask Him for the the biggest of, and the possible thing I could get." Amen. So inheritance is not given by the Father merely for the sake of having something to brag about, and so the Father's purposes in the earth will be restored through His us, His inheritors, His sons, and His daughters. If you need daughters, but actually you're all sons, according to the Scriptures. And remember what I read last week in Galatians 4.7, King James Version, Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son. I mean, that's powerful. So everything Jesus taught was about kingdom decisions to make. And being a son and being a father is all about commitment to restore honor. I mean, that's what the father was doing in this parable. He was restoring honor to a wayward son. To a son who made some bad choices. But the love of the father was honoring a son who had gone astray. Well, I tell you what, that is love. If you want to know what honor does, let me tell you what honor does. Honor releases life. Dishonor releases death. If you're dishonorable to another person on this planet, you, my friend, are releasing death. And you may be saying, well, how do I do that? By how you talk about others, by how you make reference to others with your words. The Bible says in Ephesians four twenty nine, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, except for the use of edification of others. Mike Bickle, how many you know who Mike Bickle is? House of Prayer guy in Kansas City, pastor of seventeen thousand members. One year said. He said, I'd like our whole church of of, of 17,000 to do one thing this year. I'd like you to get Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth except for the use of edifying, and only do that one Scripture all year. Changed his whole church. Because it's practical. I mean, that's what we're suffering here in America. Dishonor. It's happening all over the place. And this dishonor is releasing death on America. And the only thing that we can do to reverse it is honor. And that's what the Father was doing with His children. He was honoring His sons, regardless of their responses, regardless of their behavior, and regardless of how they thought. And He didn't stop doing it through the whole, whole parable. And Jesus spent His entire life earthly ministry teaching us about the kingdom. He didn't come to teach us about church. And there's so many people, that's all they can talk about is church. When the Bible, my Bible, talks about the kingdom. Everywhere I turn. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. God. Because today in America we're taught by many people that Christianity needs to center around the church, not the kingdom. And But kingdom is, is so opposite because kingdom teaches sons and daughters to come to understand their true place in the body of Christ, who we are. Amen? Why is this happening today in the church? I'm glad you asked that question, Dave. The American church has emerged more in a mode of corporations and community and corporations and community has become the lifestyle of church. When God says don't let the world come in, don't be squeezed, Romans 12. Don't be conformed by this world. Why do you think Paul said that in Romans 12? Don't be conformed to this world. Because he knows it would cause problems. If the ideas of the corporations and the ideas of communities and different things that are anti-Christ or anti-body or anti-kingdom get into the church, we're not going to be able to manage it too well. Amen? And the church in America, for most part, has sought to keep up an appearance of worldly success while slowly losing the resemblance to the one who has come to show us the Father and His kingdom. Rather than seeing sons and daughters, kings and priests, the world has experienced the realities of orphans and rebels. And the world has come to see the church as a awkward generation, antiquated thinkers, sad philosophers, powerless and pointless, struggling for relevance in a society that is content to prescribe its own remedies to what they see as a short-term problem because we no longer deliver a message with eternal weight. I tell you, when I read my Bible, I, I see eternity everywhere. You know? Not one jot or tittle will fall from this page until everything is fulfilled. That's powerful. That's powerful. In other words, the church for the most part does not know who she is. The church is having an identity crisis. And there's consequences for that. And a lack of solid spiritual leadership will make our flesh all the more easier to do things that do not tend toward the goodness of God. I mean, there's, I mean, there's a lot of songs out there today about the goodness of God. Why do you think that's happening? Because the Holy Spirit's in it. He wants the church to get it. He wants the church to understand who they are. I mean, you know, we can sing our theology sometimes long before we believe or even read it in the Bible the goodness of God that's chasing you down. How many people believe that? Not many. Not based on their behavior or their thoughts. And the reality today of fatherlessness and motherless generation is being felt within the church with all shaking and testing in America. And much of what we see happening in America is like testing our beliefs or faith in Christ. Do you know this? I'm not sure you do. 17,000 pastors a month quit the ministry in America. Did you hear what I said? 1,700 pastors a month quit the ministry in America. Now don't be alarmed because there's 350,000 that are still going on. And because the culture of America, church has left biblical purpose and function behind because they for the most part have not crossed over to a better covenant. With better promises. That's what the book of Hebrews says. The new covenant is a better covenant. With better promises. Somebody want better? I do. I want Luke fifteen thirty-one. All that the Father has is mine. (laughs) And the church model we've become so comfortable with nearly in nearly every church service throughout America has been bred in poor thinking about the kingdom of God if they have any thought about the kingdom at all. We have adopted thinking that led us to coincide with a consumer culture. How I many we live in a consumer culture? How many have a TV? How many have more than one TV in their house? How, have, how many have more than five TVs in their house? <laughs> I know some people have more than ten. Yeah. Yeah, they got big houses. I bet you people who have mansions like LeBron have more than 10 TVs, you know. But there's a consumer culture, and people are showing up on Sunday thinking about what they're going to receive rather than what they're about, who they are, and what we can all do together to continue to advance the Kingdom. The consumer culture is at odds with Kingdom culture. The current church culture produces consumers. What can I get? And the Kingdom culture produces producers. Prepares and produces producers. The sad thing is in most churches today, the majority of people will never have their gifts recognized. They'll never be allowed to allow their gifts to have a purpose because they were called by God, they think, to serve the purpose of the pastor. That's not why we're called. Each of you have a gift. If you want to know what your ministry is, all you have to do is read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through the end. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through the end. It says that God has given us A ministry of reconciliation. How many know it means to reconcile? Yeah, forgive and bring other people to God because your life is a picture of who God is. How many know how to reconcile their checkbook? I know mean, if your checkbook is not balanced, you're in trouble. We have places for people who write bad checks.
1: But in the kingdom culture, we
0: understand this word very well. It's called habitation. In the other cultures, the consumer culture, it's just visitation. Just show up once in a while. Get to know God on the weekends. You know, just pay my weekend girlfriend off and then Monday I can go back and live however I want. How many people today live that way? i just messing with God on a weekend. I just, oh God, I'm righteous. Look at me. But what about Monday? What about Tuesday? What about Wednesday? What about Thursday? See, when you know who you are in Christ... Every day is the same. I don't know if you read this, but somebody years ago asked D.L. Moody, what if this was your last day to live on planet Earth? What would you do different? He said nothing. Everything would be the same. I I don't have to worry about it because I do the same thing every day. I get up in the morning. I pray. I do my devotions. I serve God. I love God. I praise God. I bless others. What else is left? I there's not one thing I have to do different if it was my last day. But if you ask probably the American church that today, you'd get some crazy... i got to get it done. <laughs> Just get it right the first time. And then you don't have to worry. Amen? Just get it right. And so if we understand that sonship is central to kingdom culture. You're probably asking, why did I preach this today? Because I believe it's the heart of the Father to restore kingdom culture to His church. A culture of sonship. A culture of honor. Can I tell you something? Do me a favor. Buy books on honor. Buy some books that will teach you how to honor others and what honor is about. Because I don't know about you, but I pray every day that God would bless America. And the only way He's going to bless it is through us believing. Because the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We should be praying people for what we want to see. Not complaining people. Not dishonoring people. But honoring, loving, praying people. Amen? Fulfilling the purposes of God on earth As it is in heaven. That was one sermon already done. I still got 20 some pages for the next one. But I ain't gonna do it today. (laughs) You come back next week. Never know. God might wake me up again this week and give me another sermon. I don't know. He's big on that. I don't get it. I like my sleep. You know, sleep's good. They say if you don't at least get seven hours of sleep a night, there's no way for your body to re- re- revitalize itself or recharge itself. They're finding now that if you don't get at least seven hours of sleep a day, a night, you're, you're a candidate when you're older for Alzheimer's and dementia. They say sleep, the pre- deprived sleep, is causes those things. I know they want to blame Stanton drugs too, but... You know, there's a lot of things. What we need to do is keep our heads in the Word. Continue to study and know the Word of God. Keep your mind active. Like Dale Moody says, I do the same thing every day. So I don't have to worry about when my last day is. I don't have to change nothing. Everything's working great. Just the way it is. Read. Well, that was fun.